Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. I spent a couple hours over the weekend compiling the hate-laced history of anti-Semitism and hate for Israel at CNN, the Washington Post, MSNBC, the Associated Press, and I've could have gone on for days and days and days. So I encourage you to check out my various social sites on the various platforms. Uh, if you want to check that out. One day I'll write a lengthy uh, essay or maybe even a book on this because it's important to understand. And I will name names as well. From Jake Tapper. And who else was there? Just so many. Mehdi Hassan, um, Wolf Blitzer, how awful he's been on the subject, but not just him, all of them. This is the mindset at CNN. This is the mindset at MSNBC, the Washington Post, the New York Times. It's terrible. Terrible. But I want to read something to you, because you keep hearing about a two-state solution. And the Secretary of State Blinken, who was the Deputy Secretary of State under Obama, and I'll get to him in a minute, is doing shuttle diplomacy from one murderous genocide regime to another. Some of them headed by terrorists, some of them headed by Islamists. And what is he trying to do? They say the media that he's trying to make sure, you know, aren't more fronts that are opened up against Israel. It's not what he's doing. He's going behind the back of the United States Congress, behind the back of the American people, behind the back of the Israelis, and he's negotiating for a so-called two-state solution. They even put that up on their official State Department website. They want Israel to stop defeating Hamas. They want Israel, Doug Ross has a great piece on this, to enter into its 16th, 16th ceasefire over the years. 16th. Where Gaza's rebuilt and on and on, and then they attack Israel again. And people are right when they say, and you'll only hear this on Fox, that there was a ceasefire all the way up to October 6th until the until the Hamas Nazis broke the ceasefire. But that's not my point. Memory, which is a great site if you want to check it out. M-E-M-R-I. Memory.org. So is camera.org. Like the word camera, C-A-M-E-R-A dot org. But memory.org, uh, they have staff and others who interpret 
Arabic, and other languages overseas. And they, uh, they mention a columnist, Hani Salim Mashur. Hamas is not Palestine, an El Arab London publication. And without getting into all the detail, and he gets into a whole lot of detail, I actually believe it's a she, but whichever. I want you to listen to this brilliant point. There can never be a two-state solution. Because Hamas, Hezbollah, the umbrella group, the Muslim Brotherhood, which has a long history, a hundred-year history, is not interested in a state. They're interested in a caliphate. Just like ISIS. They've tried on several occasions under the umbrella of the Muslim Brotherhood, and that's what Hamas is, part of the Muslim Brotherhood, to knock off Egyptian leaders. And they did it with Mubarak, and of course, the assassination of Sadat. They've taken over Lebanon. That is this effort at a caliphate. They now control what was the country of Lebanon. They're more powerful than the government there. They've taken over, with the Houthis, Yemen. Yemen, they, they control Yemen now. And they're taking over other Arab states and other states in the Middle East and elsewhere. They're not interested in a quote-unquote two-state solution, but they are interested in the United States giving them territory from which they can continue their caliphate. And it wouldn't matter if it was a boss with the Fatah party or some group or whatever it is, where they grab another chunk of land from the Israelis, Judea and Samaria, they would push the indigenous peoples, the Jews off there, in order to create this, this fabricate this, this country. And the point of this author is, and this isn't the only author, there's another author in Egypt who's written essentially the same thing. The West doesn't understand what's going on, or if they understand it, they're denying it. This is a caliphate. Hamas is not interested in a country unless it could overtake it and use it as a base. Which leads me to my next question for Joe Biden, Blinken, Obama, and the other reprobates. What exactly would this other state look like on Israel's border? How exactly would it be different from the Gaza Strip, which was the two-state solution? Hello, which was the two-state solution. Didn't work out. Because the terrorists, the Islamists, seek this caliphate, they don't care who the United States and Europe and the UN or whomever else installs some committee to run some some new country that they carve out a tiny little Israel. They're not going to limit them. They're not limited by 
boundaries. They're not limited by state sovereignty. They don't care about any of that. They're not a governing party. They're a terrorist movement. A terrorist movement. An ideological Islamist movement. Read what they write. Read their mission statement. This whole idea of a two-state solution is a disaster. And yet Obama pushes it. Biden pushes it. Blinken pushes it. The UN pushes it. Two countries side by side living in peace. Show me where that exists in the Middle East. Nowhere. Hamas has said they're never going to give up in their effort to slaughter the Jews. Muslim Brotherhood, Islamic Jihad, same thing. Iran, same thing. So how exactly would this other state be governed? How exactly would anybody prevent the toppling of the so-called government in that so-called other country? How exactly would you prevent it from becoming a highly militarized base from which to destroy the Jewish people in Israel? How would you do it? You can't do it. It's impossible. The so-called two-state solution would lead to the annihilation of the Jews, the annihilation of so-called moderate Arab states, and a country from which the nuclearized Iran and others would be able to threaten and in fact attack the United States and United States interests all over the world. There's nothing humanitarian about what's being pushed by Obama, Biden, and Blinken. They are fools, absolute fools. A so-called two-state solution must be opposed with every fiber of our being, America. And notice how they're talking about it, even while they're holding Israel back from eliminating Hamas. Even while they're funding Iran, even to this day. They want a caliphate. They don't want a quote-unquote state with borders. They want more than that. It's an Islamist revolution. That's what it is. That's what it'll continue to be. And here's little Israel trying to take out one little piece of it. And they're under attack from the United States. From our colleges, from our streets, from our media, from CNN and the Washington Post, from Thomas Friedman, from the New York Times, from Reuters and AP, from MSNBC. They're under attack. And they're the only ones that actually have flesh and blood on the line, day in and day out, fighting this caliphate movement that seeks to spread throughout the Middle East. Well, the United States, under the most stupid regime in American history, prepared to reward the terrorists after their attack on Israel. The only way to resolve this, they say, is essentially for Israel to lose. Because Israel, as we all know, is, is inhumane. It's targeting citizens. Look at all this. Pictures left and right, don't you see? And of course, we have this 30, 40, 50, maybe it was 20 million, I don't really care, people marching in Washington, D.C. The media do not tell you 
that that's funded by International Answer, Inc., a Marxist operation. The media do not tell you that it's funded by the Hamas network in the United States that I've been talking about for a full month right now, which backs CARE and these other operations. The media will not tell you that many of the front groups involved, the non-governmental organizations, have been funded by George Soros, who's been trying to destroy Israel and its sovereignty for decades. Soros and CARE, always welcome at the White House. Obama or Biden. Amazing, isn't it? You don't get the facts from Jake Tapper and CNN, from Wolf Blitzer and CNN. You don't get the facts from MSNBC and Andrea Mitchell and her ilk. You don't get the facts from the Washington Compost and the New York Slimes. They don't even care who's funding these things in the United States. And meanwhile, they desecrate, they desecrate monuments in Lafayette Park. They desecrate the fencing around the White House. They try and climb and breach the fencing around the White House. And I haven't heard that the United States Department of Justice and FBI are trying to round up as many of these people as they can and send out SWAT teams with an obvious effort at an insurrection with these radical left-wing organizations, many of which have ties to the terrorist organizations. I don't see this sense of urgency. Do you? Do you? I don't. So what you've learned here by listening to this program in the first 15 minutes is more than you're going to learn on CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, and the Washington Post for years. And you're not going to hear it on TV. Well, you may hear it on TV now, on cable. You may hear it in talk radio now. But this isn't about a state. This is about a caliphate. This isn't about a two-state solution. If there is a called, so-called two-state solution, it'll be Israel's final solution. And now what you're going to see is what we saw a year or two ago. The intensity of the smear and character assassination campaign against Netanyahu and his government. His government is quote-unquote right-wing. It's extremist. Netanyahu. He's the problem. If we could just get rid of Netanyahu. We could just have a two-state solution. If we could just do what Obama, Biden, and Blinken want us to do. And Thomas Friedman want us to do. If we can just do what Jake Tapper and CNN and MSNBC, if we could just do what they want us to do. Editorial pages of the compost and the slimes. Peace will break out in the Middle East. And yet, the man they seek to put in prison for the rest of his life, Donald Trump, he didn't see it that way. And as a result of his policies, which run completely contrary to the Democrat Party, peace was breaking out everywhere. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. All right. Want to bring up the speed a little bit. They have the goods on Biden, but they always have. We're not hearing anything from Meritless Garland, as you well know. Um, This is from the Daily Wire. The White House dismissed a request by House Oversight Chairman James Comer seeking proof of President Joe Biden providing a loan to his brother, James Biden, amid concerns that the commander-in-chief may have profited off his family's influence-peddling schemes. Robert Sauber, special counsel to the president, wrote back to Comer on Friday in response to a letter from October 26 that sought documentation underlying a $200,000 check James Biden wrote to Joe Biden That was labeled as a, quote, loan repayment in 2018. The letter concerns a financial transaction between two family members, says this special counsel. Nothing special about him. At a time when both individuals were private citizens, Sauber stated curtly in his reply. Comer, who's leading a corruption-focused impeachment inquiry against Biden, is trying to get more information about a $200,000 check dated March 1, 2018 which he said bank records showed James Biden issued from his personal account on the same day he received the same amount of money from AmeriCorps Health LLC. That company, according to Comer, was going through bankruptcy proceedings to which James Biden was, quote, representations that his last name Biden could open doors and that he could obtain a large investment from the Middle East based on his political connections, unquote. Comer insisted his committee has no record supporting the claim. All right, let me slow down. I have my own information supporting the claim. Is there a loan document? That's what they want to know. Even a one-page loan document? If there's not, then that's a lie. That's number one. Number two, if there is a loan document, was it provided uh, that Joe Biden had to pay any interest? Because if Joe Biden doesn't pay any interest and the IRS tells you what the minimal amount of interest is on a loan, then it would have been a gift to Joe Biden, and it should have been reported as a gift to Joe Biden. That's number two. Number three, my big bugaboo. Joe Biden's family members are representing foreign entities, foreign governments, under FARA. Neither his brother, nor his sister-in-law, nor Hunter have signed up as agents. And that was used against some of Donald Trump's closest supporters and confidants. It never really had been used before, but they used it now against some very good men. Paul Manafort, I think they used it against Roger Stone, but whomever. 200,000. But Mark, but Mark, Biden's not representing these interests. Biden is benefiting from these interests. He knows he's getting his money from Hunter and Joe and uh, Jim 
He knows they're not FARA-registered agents of foreign governments. And so what does that make Joe Biden? A conspirator to violate FARA. And this is on top of the phone calls and the meetings and the golf outings and the dinners and all the rest as it piles up, piles up, piles up. There's also another check. $40,000. Same thing, pretty much. $40,000. And, of course, he gets protection from Jamie Raskin, who's a complete reprobate. Uh, Anything Donald Trump did was impeachable and should have sent him to prison for the rest of his life. Uh, Raskin, who's used to these Stalinist-like inquiries since his father was a huge fan of Stalin. And uh, as they say, he's a chip off the old block. He definitely is. But I have a different question that's not being asked, and I don't get it. Once again, where's the special counsel? There is enough information here. We call it a predicate. There's predicates everywhere. They're flying around like mosquitoes. Predicates everywhere. And yet no special counsel appointed by Meritless Garland. He doesn't even show his face. That threshold was met a long time ago under the regulation, and they will not appoint one. And speaking of special counsel, Jack Smith. Jack Smith is on the loose. He is rogue. He is Stalinist as well, of course. It's the nature of the beast over there in the Democrat Party. He's demanding a broader gag order on Trump, even though the existing one is pathetically unconstitutional. And he's now making filings because there was a very smart filing, very smart by the Trump lawyers saying, oh, uh, hello. Uh, everything that Donald Trump did while he was president was protected. You can't now go back and say, oh, that's not executive privilege after the fact and go after a president for things he did, which we believe they argue is constitutional and legal, and so do I. But now, because he's a private citizen, say uh, that protection for that period of time and the things you did during that period of time are no longer protected. And so Jack Smith writes basically an op-ed piece for the New York Times and the Washington Post because the guy's basically an idiot. He's basically a schlub, but he's got the power and the tools of the federal government. He says, well, this is a different situation. No president has ever done anything like this. No pre- Hey, idiot. It's executive president. Don't give me this no president crap. Joe Biden's doing it as we speak. He's a crook. Oh, and also, uh, Smith says, and by the way, Smith operates after one of the Obama judges strips President Trump of his attorney-client privilege protection. Remember all this? We still haven't seen that secret opinion by that Obama pathetic, phony judge who had been the chief judge of the D.C. District. Of course, she would be. We haven't seen that. So he's stripped of attorney-client privilege. He's stripped of his First Amendment rights, which means he's stripped of due process. And his lawyers are told they have to prepare for a trial in four and a half months, despite millions of pages of documents. So he's stripped of his Sixth Amendment rights, the right to effective representation of counsel. So there they violated the First Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, and the Sixth Amendment, and they're interfering with a presidential election. So tell me, who should be on trial here? 
Who's running an insurrection here? Biden. Garland, who's clearly in the witness protection program now. Smith. And Chunkin. They're the ones running an insurrection. It's dressed up as a courtroom. It's dressed up as justice. It's none of those things. I've told, I've, I've explained this before. They create a Potemkin, a Potemkin courtroom. Oh, this will be used, believe me. A Potemkin courtroom where we have this judge who's not really a judge. He's a hack. We have this prosecutor. He's not really a prosecutor. He's a nut. And where one day we may have a jury, a jury of the president's peers. If he were a Democrat, since 94% of the people in Washington, D.C. voted against Donald Trump. Voted against Donald Trump. Isn't this sickening? I think it's sickening, Mr. Producer. Do I owe you anything, by the way, before I get a... Before I keep plowing ahead because I'm, I'm getting my second wind here. Not that I need one. And then, of course, now there are photos of the crackpot elected Democrat judge in this civil case who already ruled before Donald Trump even walked into the courtroom, or his lawyers did, that Donald Trump was guilty as charged. It's just a matter of figuring out how much he owes and whether he can do business in New York. They, they do these things, right, in front of the click lights, right in front of us, and it's a oh-ho, hem-ho, who cares? Oh-hum. It's shocking. And it's going on all over the country. And by the way, they're trashing that judge again in Florida. All the usual Marxist operations like Salon. Real commie operation. But more. Because the judge is a real judge. She's playing it straight by the book. And she's making decisions on motions. She's not hearing. And take a look at this chunkin. She insists that this trial be held before uh, the general election. She insists it be held during the primaries. The first date is a day before Super Tuesday, all intentional. And then she tells Trump to shut up. So here you have a presidential candidate who's told to shut up, can't defend himself, can't attack the prosecutor. He's running for president, so they're doing everything humanly possible to cripple him. But you know what? Here's the thing. Many Americans are on to it. But here's my concern, and I mentioned to this to you months ago. Months ago. They want him to have that scarlet letter of convicted felon. Remember that? And you even have them talking about it now, the Democrat Party pro-Hamas media. That's what they are. If you're not against Hamas, then you're pro-Hamas. Can't be partly against Hamas, use their statistics, use their propaganda, and then pretend you're a straight shooter. You call them as you see them. No, you're not. You're pro-Hamas. It's like saying you're, uh, look, I'm calling them as I see them with the Nazi Germans. No, no, you're pro-Nazi. But the point is this. They want that scarlet letter because... The media say it's one thing, you know, they don't like Biden. They might vote for Trump. But if he's convicted felon, it's going to be very difficult for some of these people to vote for him. So that's the game plan. That's the game plan. Well, you know, I hadn't known about this. 
until somebody sent this to me from Breitbart today, this morning. Jim Jordan, censorship org, <clears throat> election integrity partnership was created at the Department of Homeland Security Agency's request. Now, this is really unbelievable. The police state is here. Jordan has released further evidence of the collaboration between the federal government and private institutions to censor the First Amendment protected speech of Americans, including new files that show that the infamous Election Integrity Partnership, you understand this is in my book, The Democrat Party Hates America, which targeted social media posts for censorship during the 2020 election, was created at the request of the Department of Homeland Security under Joe Biden. And one of the examples of the censorship machine in action shared by Jordan is a request to censor a tweet by President Trump, including a link to a Breitbart News story. The Election Integrity Partnership is a consortium of four organizations, Stanford Internet Observatory, Atlantic Council's Digital Forensics Research Lab, which sounds so professional, the University of Washington Center for an Informed Public, Representative Dan Bishop in a hearing of the House Homeland Security Committee earlier this year played a clip unearthed by the Foundation for Freedom Online showing the Atlantic Council casually discussing the EIP's, quote, partners in the government, most particularly those at DHS. Okay, so who were they monitoring? Who were they trying to squelch and censor, Mr. Producer? Let's take a look at the list here. Um, Looking at the list... News outlets targeted by the EIP included Breitbart News, Fox News, The New York Post, Epic Times, as well as the social media accounts of prominent conservatives Charlie Kirk, Tom Fitton, Jack Bosbiek, Mark Levin, James O'Keefe, and Sean Hannity, among others. That's not nice. That's not nice at all. I'm sure Jake Tapper is going to be very upset about this. Well, Blitzer, too. Andrea Mitchell, Joe Scarborough. I'm sure they're all going to be saying this is outrageous. So this show and my social sites were targeted for censorship, among others. Other folks, other conservatives, by the federal government through a third party. This is why I still and will consider Elon Musk a hero. He's lost money on Twitter a lot. But he's one billionaire who puts his money where his mouth is. And he didn't need all the headaches. The left loved him. Conservatives didn't really know anything about him. And here he is under federal investigation now by the Southern District of New York and Maine Justice. Why? Because he hasn't fallen in line with Biden and the Democrats. That's why. The police state is here. The police state has been here. You know, folks, if you haven't gotten your copy of The Democrat Party Hates America... Go look at the comments on Amazon. Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. You know, the only billionaire that I can think of who consistently was generous with an enormous amount of money was Sheldon Adelson, the late Sheldon Adelson. Money for the House, money for the Senate, money for presidential candidates. 
We have multi-billionaires on the Republican side. People worth two, three, twenty-five, fifty billion dollars, twenty million, forty million, fifty million. For them, that's like buying a hot dog at a baseball game. Don't they care about this country too? If they cared about saving this country as much as the Democrat radical left-wing billionaires cared about destroying it, that would sure help. But there's other things here. Mitch McConnell is out of sync. Mitch McConnell has always been about Mitch McConnell. And he gets the backing from the liberal media, the left-wing media, Politico, the Washington Post, the New York Times, when he blames conservatives. The Tea Party Revolution, the Reagan Revolution, the Trump Revolution. And he's not a leader, he's a figurehead. And so are most of the senior people in the Senate around him. These aren't fighters. They look down on the conservatives in the House. They look down on the base that elects them. They'd rather be in the minority than have these, these crazy conservatives in the Senate and in the House and in the Oval Office. I've seen it up close, folks. You're listening to one of the few hosts in America. Bongino's run for office. He knows what I'm talking about. But you're listening to one of the few, I said, who's been involved in your presidential campaign for Reagan in 76 when we lost Lost to the rhinos. And in 80, when we won. In a massive landslide. And Reagan was still undercut by the Republican establishment. He wanted to get rid of the Department of Education. He was blocked by Mark Hatfield and Howard Baker. And they were in the majority in the Senate. No thanks to their campaigns. They wrote his coattails into office. This is the problem. You had approximately 190 Democrats in the House yesterday who voted against censuring Rashida Tlaib and media, even friendly media. Well, you get it right. She wasn't censured because she criticized Israel. She was censured because she supports the extermination of the Jews in Israel. That's why. You dumb bastards, don't you understand? Now there's things Republicans can do that they're not doing. How come the Republican Party, nationally and in the states, why don't they develop their own election procedures that benefit Republicans? The Democrats do this all the time and then they ram it down our throats. They do it by fiat, they do it by executive orders, they do it by regulations, they do it by legislation, they go to their friendly judge, they get a judge to impose it. What is the election procedures that the Republicans are developing to help Republicans win? There aren't any. They don't even know how to undo or fight the Democrats who keep changing the rules. So why don't we change the rules to our benefit? That's the nature of politics. These Senate Republicans are responsible for them being in the minority and for us having horrific conditions imposed on us by the Biden regime.
All but 10 or 12 Senate Republicans voted against McConnell being the Republican leader. And they do this voting in secret. We want to know who votes for him and against him. Because he needs to go. And you and I, I do it all the time, but a bigger group of us need to put pressure on the Republicans in the Senate to kick that phony the hell out. And don't replace him with another fool. McDaniels has to go. She's a loser. She's not up to the fight. She's not up to the task. She's just not. The proof is in the pudding. And why aren't we organizing our lawyers to take on their lawyers? Why do we leave people like Giuliani and Eastman and Ellis and others out to hang all by themselves? Why aren't we developing an entire army of lawyers who will go into these states, fight to change the rules, go into these states, Make challenges left and right. This is what they do. Why won't we do it? So you're going to hear every buffoon with a microphone and a camera in their face try and figure out what's going on. I'm telling you what's going on. I lived this. As a young man. Conservatism works. And when it's explained properly, people embrace it. How much juxtaposition was there on inflation when the Democrats, the Democrats in power now, when the Republicans were in power? The border, on and on, the issues are so one-sided in our favor. But they can't figure out how to deal with abortion. Do they listen to this show? Do they pay attention? Do they know how extreme the Democrats are on this issue? The Democrats do not believe in life. Or they'd secure the southern border. Or they would demand more police rather than handcuffing the cops and undermining their funding. The Democrats, their number one priority is not life. In fact, it's death, abortion, crime in the streets. Those are Democrat cities. Democrat policies. Don't lock up recidivists, even if they're violent, out the back door. There is one little glimmer of light by the way in Loudoun County the Soros funded and elected prosecutor lost by the skin of her teeth but so what she lost and the law and order sheriff in Loudoun County Chapman he won as well he won as well We need to have a concerted effort to appoint the kind of federal judges that we need because they make decisions on redistricting and they're making decisions that are killing the Republican Party right now. And Lindsey Graham, 
Lindsey Graham and I bump into each other from time to time. Lindsey, what you're doing on the Judiciary Committee is intolerable. You're rubber stamping their judges. It's intolerable. And then the other thing we need to do, luckily Romney's bowing out, but he was going to be primaried anyway. Republicans like Romney need to be defeated. I'm not saying they all need to be conservative, but I am saying they can't be saboteurs, backstabbers, Benedict Arnold's. And we have a lot of those in the Republican Party. That needs to be broomed out. That needs to be cleaned away. The Democrats don't have that. Like I said, 190 House Democrats, give or take. They keep talking about the 22. 190, and I posted this earlier. Voted to protect Rashida Tlaib. Even though she's using a phrase that connotes the extermination of the Jews. From the river to the sea. It's from the Jordan River to the east of Israel, to the Mediterranean on the west side of Israel. From the river to the sea means the obliteration, the extermination of the Jews who reside there. Everybody knows that, especially those Democrats who voted to protect her. 190 of them, and four Republicans. Ken Buck again, because Ken Buck is a head case. He's a head case. But Tom Massey, Tom McClintock, and some other congressman I've never heard of before. Saying we need to focus, you know, on the real issues in this country and this back and forth stuff isn't going to work. This isn't back and forth stuff. This isn't free speech stuff. She's free to say whatever the hell she wants to. But the House is also free to respond to it. And for Republicans who think this is a waste of time, punishing a member who promotes the extermination of Jews is not a waste of time. That's not a waste of time at all. It provides moral clarity. It demonstrates that there's at least one party in the House of Representatives that will not tolerate it. That's not a waste of time. You guys waste time all the time. That's not a waste of time. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Well, when the program was over last night, I did watch the remainder of the debate. And I have some observations that might be a little different than most people. Nikki Haley is a liar. She's been lying about Ron DeSantis' position on energy. She's been told she's lying, and she keeps lying. She lies about her own positions when it comes to Communist China. She was celebrating the Communist Party officials for years and years as governor. And she would do virtually anything to have their investment in the state 
of South Carolina. Her response is, again, to attack DeSantis as doing the same, which is a lie. Everybody in Florida knows it. She says she's pro-life. She was never a big pro-life governor or pro-life supporter. So she's lying about that, too. And I can go down the list. That's why the Wall Street Journal is slobbering all over her today. Because the Wall Street Journal is not a conservative editorial page. It's not leftist. But it promotes Peggy Noonan and her ilk. It used to trash the Tea Party in 2010. It used to promote an amendment to the Constitution. Thou shalt have, or thou shalt have open borders. Of course, it, it doesn't apologize for that position in the past. It's called the Wall Street Journal, not the Main Street Journal. And she's being promoted by essentially three groups. The Republican establishment, Bush individuals, as well as Democrats in the media, and billionaire Republican donors who hate Donald Trump. When people talk about Nikki Haley, they talk about the superficial, how she responded to Ramaswamy, what she said about Trump, what she said this, what she said that. You notice she never runs on her record. She runs from her record. She didn't answer the questions about her close economic ties with communist China. She went on the attack. I've been calling her George Bush in a dress. I guess Ramaswamy's people have heard me about Cheney with high heels, but that's not it. It's George Bush in a dress. She's an establishment, moderate Republican. Now, some people might be looking for that. And this is what I wanted to say about that. The country is dying. We're in the ICU. We can't afford to have a Bush, Christie, Sununu, McConnell Republican in the White House. We will not turn this country around. We'll have a respite from the radical left, but we will not make progress, not one inch of progress in pushing our agendas. That is a problem. And so the reason people like Donald Trump isn't because they're stupid. Is it because they're hypnotized? Is it because they're MAGA, radical MAGA? It's because they saw how he governed for four years. And his substance was outstanding. Peace in the Middle East. A border that was more secure than 
any time since Dwight Eisenhower. An economy that was growing and expanding and creating wealth and opportunity for Americans. Normalcy when it came to issues like transgenderism and critical race theory. The same media that is pushing a moral equivalency between the Hamas terrorists and the democracy in Israel is the same media that did, has, and continues to try and destroy Trump. The reason why many of us like DeSantis as a governor is because he can run on his record. People moved to Florida in droves. They still are. People speak with their feet. Nikki Haley speaks with her mouth. That's fine. But people weren't rushing into South Carolina because she was governor. South Carolina wasn't even thought about when people were thinking about where shall I move? Because Nikki Haley was one of a mass of Republican governors who basically manage as best they can the state. But they don't make any forward movement. They don't make any progress. South Carolina is a largely Republican state. She even had it easy. And she accomplished almost nothing. Ron DeSantis wins by the skin of his teeth, and he doesn't play rhino, he doesn't play it safe. He governs the state as a constitutional conservative. And so is attacked by the Wall Street Journal. Why? Because the Tea Party movement, the Reagan Revolution, the Trump Revolution, none of these things would have happened if the Republican establishment had its way. The DeSantis victory in Florida, none of these things would have happened. He had to win a primary against a rhino. And yet when conservatives finally win, they're extraordinarily popular. The problem conservatives have, whether it's Barry Goldwater or Ronald Reagan, three attempts to get the nomination of the Republican Party, or Donald Trump is a conservative by common sense, not by philosophy, or Ron DeSantis in Florida, the problem they all have is the Republican establishment, the Republican billionaires, who stop them, who try to stop them, who fight them. Once they muscle through, they do okay. Even now, we have Karl Rove out there saying, if it's Biden, Trump, it'll be the most disastrous election in American history. A rhino establishment. Chris Christie spends all his time appearing in front of Republicans trashing Trump. What is the point of that? Nikki Haley was a Trump appointee. 
she was not on the national scene but for Trump. And she said she wouldn't run against him if he decides to run. But there she is running against him, even though he decided to run. So what, right? And I'm no Ramaswamy fan in the least. I know a charlatan when I see one. That said, when he pointed out on TikTok, Nikki Haley going on about all the things she's going to do about TikTok, and to protect all the children from TikTok. It was absolutely legitimate for him to mention, and he didn't do it in a disrespectful way. And he didn't attack her, and he didn't attack her daughter to say, you haven't even dealt with that in your own family. Your daughter's on TikTok. And she calls him a scum? Really? If we want to win the next election, and we must, we have to ignore these commentators. We have to ignore these operatives who are on cable and elsewhere, who spent their entire lives feeding from the, the ruling class and the establishment. We have to reject these people. Gerald Ford lost against Jimmy Carter for crying out loud. But my concern is, we can fight the Democrats and the Marxists and the Islamists. But how do we deal with the fifth column in the Republican Party? That seeks to purify the party. Whether they're in the minority or not, they don't much care. So that they can continue. To go on the media... They can continue to make money, hold office, be called honorable. That's been the problem for Republicans, for conservatives. We have a Republican Party that hates its conservative base. That hates its conservative base. I see these Bush guys always throwing Reagan's name around. Rove does it. Rove was never a Reagan guy. Christie does it. Christie was never a Reagan guy. Sununu does it. Sununu's family, they were never Reaganites. Why don't they talk about George H.W. Bush? Why don't they talk about George W. Bush? I have nothing against those men personally, past and present. Nothing. But they didn't do anything. Certainly not anything that mattered. The great change among presidents, the greatest Republican presidents, were men who were leaders. Leaders. Abraham Lincoln didn't try and figure out 15 different ways on slavery that would avoid an all-out war. Calvin Coolidge didn't try and figure out 50 different ways to expand the economy. Ronald Reagan didn't try and figure out 50 different ways to defeat the Soviet Union and so forth. Some things you do because they're right. The Republican media, Republicans in the media, notice I didn't say conservatives, want us to change our views on abortion. 
We're getting our asses kicked on abortion, they tell us. Well, we are. For two reasons. Number one, when it comes to that issue, Republicans become illiterate, incapable of speaking and explaining. Number two, the Democrat Party billionaires are all in on abortion on demand, right to the end. Hakeem Jeffries just said, no restrictions whatsoever on abortion. Republican billionaires, many of them agree with that. I can't tell you how many times I've had some of them and other wealthy Republicans come up to me and say, can't we just drop the social issues? In other words, the cultural issues. I've never used that phrase, social issues. I've always called them cultural issues. Nikki Haley says, drop it. And it's not just with abortion. It's with Disney. It's with the classrooms. The Peggy Noonans, same thing. Peggy Noonan was never involved in Reagan's primary campaign. She came on later after he got elected. She worked for Dan Rather. She hates Netanyahu. She hates DeSantis, of course. She promoted Chris Christie. But nobody wants Chris Christie. He's up there because the Democrats keep sending him small donations. Small donations. Nikki Haley said something. I think it was in response to either Tim Scott or Ron DeSantis. She said, we can't build our Navy. We don't know how many ships we need because of our massive debt. Does that sound like a leader to you? That's not what Reagan said. You have to reprioritize the spending in the federal government. That's hard to do. So more goes to defense and and less to climate change. Because we have to do both if we're going to survive now. We have to do both if we're going to survive. Ramaswamy is a foreign policy illiterate. It's not about neocons. It's not about that stuff. He's a foreign policy illiterate. He does his best imitation of George McGovern. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. Media coverage. Guy Benson, good man. Good man. I've always liked this gentleman. Always. When I watch him on TV, when I read his columns, just superb. He writes, media coverage of conservative rallies versus pro-Palestine, quote-unquote, rallies. Can you spot the difference? He writes at townhall.com, another great site. He says, think back for a moment to the early days of the Obama administration. Journalists were jubilant because their favorite politician had triumphed in the presidential election and their political party had won sweeping victories at the polls. Conservatives were licking their wounds and regrouping, trying to regain an identity in the political wilderness. The GOP ended up scoring auspicious victories in 2009, presaging their historic 2010 romp, part of which was fueled by intense and focused energy among conservative grassroots. Much of that energy was for a time centered around the Tea Party movement, which demanded a restoration of fiscal responsibility and constitutional government. 
The so-called news media, eager to protect Obama and discredit his opposition, covered the Tea Party as negatively as possible. And that would include the Wall Street Journal editorial page. That would include all the comments on and off the record by the Republican establishment, led by Mitch McConnell. The ruling party, including the IRS, took note and followed suit with their own forms of abuse and harassment. It was a team effort. When supporters of a fringe, mostly left-wing cult figure showed up at rallies with placards depicting Obama's Hitler, the cameras flocked to them. Look at these crazies when grown men would show up in Revolutionary War era garb. In keeping with the Tea Party theme, they often received disproportionate screen time. Aren't these weirdo copes players ridiculous? When a single utterance or syllable was deemed out of the line or inflammatory, that pull quote was hyped and attributed to the larger group. When Democrats claim without any evidence that Tea Party crowd shouted racial epithets at them, the press ran with it. Nancy Pelosi wept phony tears about how scary and dangerous it all was, garnering favorable attention from her many journalistic allies. When there was no overtly offensive or or problematic material to work with, ubiquitous, insidious dog whistles were identified. Turned out journalists' ears were highly attuned to these allegedly hidden disparaging racial messages about Obama. The overall thrust of the coverage was that the Tea Party was a hotbed of bigotry, with outright racism and even violent impulses simmering just beneath the surface. Of course, most of the actual violence attributed to the movement was either exposed as a hoax or was disproportionately perpetuated by leftists. But that didn't get in the way of the larger narrative in service of a broader political truth. The so-called news media was on a seek-and-destroy smear mission against Obama's critics. And that agenda colored virtually all the coverage. Others have written about the dramatic differences between press treatment of the Tea Party and the contemporaneous, quote-unquote, Occupy movement. The former applied for permits, picked up rubbish after rallies, and waved American flags. The latter's participants defecated on police cars, respected no rules of law, and occasionally committed assaults, sexual and otherwise. Guess whose overall media coverage was a lot more hostile? Our current moment is even worse. Massive pro-Hamas hate rallies have erupted in major U.S. cities and across American campuses. Identifying gravely offensive signs and chants does not require any sleuthing or cherry-picking. Just eyes and ears, this so-called pro-Palestine movement Go-to slogans include explicit references to killing Jews in Tefada, calls for the elimination of the Jewish state from the river to the sea, and crowing about Palestinian liberation being achieved by any means necessary, quote-unquote, an endorsement of the October 7th terrorist massacre of Jewish civilians in Israel. Morally inverted Nazi imagery is everywhere. A popular trend among this crowd is ripping down and defacing posters, of hundreds of hostages still being held by Hamas. By the way, a footnote on that. And I hate to say this, I know a number of you are thinking this, but I have to say it. Most of the women, most of the girls, most of the young girls who've been kidnapped and who are Israelis, I guarantee you have been sexually abused and many of them murdered. I don't believe many of them are even alive anymore.
So Guy Benson goes on. They endlessly traffic in mind-bending misinformation, conspiratorial lunacy. Let's talk about the Islamists. And outright bigotry and aggressive dehumanization of Jews. Their hate parades are widely suppressed, euphemized, and airbrushed by the same news media that perceived, excuse me, dog whistles and imminent violence around every corner circa 2010. They deny, justify, defend, or celebrate Hamas's Jew butchery. Some call for more. Some deface synagogues, multiple examples. Public property, Washington, D.C., menace Jews at their homes in California, assault Jews in the street, New York City, and on the quad in Harvard, attempt to kill Jewish children in Indiana, even killed a pro-Israel demonstrator again in California. And much of the resulting coverage has been drastically and undeniably less skeptical to hostile than what the Tea Party experienced. No one's arguing or should argue that there were no racists in the Tea Party. I mean, hell. The Democrat Party's filled with racists. Or that attendees of pro-Palestine rallies universally hold some of the most republic views represented at those events. But I would argue that unlike the former movement, objectively disgusting sentiments are a very common feature of the latter gatherings. Openly eliminationist slogans have been the rule, not the exception. Yet the coverage of these respective movements broadly reverse that dynamic. The danger and threats posed by the American right wing are self-evident to most journalists, you see, so they go about their work accordingly. But when a politically aligned or inconvenient group ostentatiously lives down to the image they work hard to impose upon the Tea Party, the headlines, editorial decisions look rather different. They don't like to cover or even censor unhelpful facts. Journals, uh, journalists have transform themselves from pointed inquisitors and accusers into publicists. It's impossible not to notice. Finally, in light of another glaring and galling media double standard about the relationship between political rhetoric and physical violence, I ask, why are we not in the midst of a fraught, media-driven national conversation, quote-unquote, about the civility and dangerous culture of hate fomented by politicians' words, especially in light of the multiple violent episodes that I've mentioned. Or does that sort of moral panic only apply when the news media's preferred team stands to benefit from it? That's an outstanding piece on Town Hall by Guy Benson. The title, Media Coverage of Conservative Rallies versus So-Called Pro-Palestine Rallies. Can you spot the difference? I spot it, I taste it, I smell it, and I'm nauseous from it. (laughs) 